we can remain in and we can stay in that vine as long as we want. But unless Christ is in us as well, we are not truly his. It's not where we are, okay, that produces fruit. Rather, it's what's in us. Or should I say it's who that's in us that produces fruit. Hi, and welcome to One Little Candle, a place where genuine believers are encouraged, empowered, and inspired to be the light that God calls us to be by contending for the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his people so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. And in case you're thinking that you can't make a difference in your own little corner of the world, yes, you can, because all it takes is one little candle. I'm your host, Rebecca Bershwinger. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. One Little Candle is a member of the Christian podcast community, where you'll not only find great podcasts like this, but you'll also find great podcasts such as these. I think as parents, we assume that kids are going to just know the right way to do things. You have to train them by teaching them to do it over and over again until they actually get it. This is Yvette Hampton, host of the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast. Join us each week for a new episode as we offer encouragement and resources on biblical discipleship from popular speakers and authors, as well as parents just like you and me. Find out more at schoolhouserocked.com or listen anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Hi, I'm Sharon Wilharm, host of All God's Women podcast and internationally syndicated radio show. I'd love to invite you to join me as we bring to life the stories of women in the Bible and discover their relevance for our lives today. Listen at allgodswomen.com, your favorite podcast platform, or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. So check it out at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Hi to all my fellow candles. How are you today? I am doing well. Um, not sure if I'm suffering from allergies or a cold. Hopefully it's not the latter, but um doing pretty well today. Today I would like to talk about salvation. In particular, whether or not as Christians we can lose our salvation. Because there are a lot of people out there who say that we can. And there are a lot of people out there who say that we cannot. And there are scriptures, of course, cited in favor of the argument that we can lose our salvation as Christians. And there are also scriptures out there that are cited in favor of the argument that says we cannot lose our salvation. So I would just like to take a look at a handful of scriptures. And and we'll start with the ones, of course, that are cited in favor of the loss of salvation. This is not an exhaustive list, but these are the four that I have heard people cite the most. And the first one is John 15 verses 1 and 2. The second verse is Galatians 5, 4. The third is Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23 and Hebrews 6 verses 4 through 6. So I'm going to look at those four verses to start off with and see what they say and 
and talk about them and see, do they in fact say that we can lose our salvation? So John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 say, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So, hmm, when I read that, you think, well, okay, yeah. Every branch in me, Jesus said, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, bearing fruit is a phrase used to, well, it describes our actions as Christians, our, our outward actions, actions that would result from what's coming from our heart. Galatians 5 verses 16 through 24 contrasts the works of the flesh with the works of the Holy Spirit. Because in our sinful nature, of course, we have some pretty rotten fruit that we bear, um, or, you know, fruit of the flesh, um, things such as jealousy, anger, idolatry, just to name a few. But it also talks about the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as Christians, obviously we want to keep bearing fruit, right? Good fruit in keeping with our relationship with God. We do things outwardly that show that we're Christians. People should know we're Christians by our outward actions, which again, stem from the heart. Um, they, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is a song and they will know we are Christians by our love, right? They will know we are Christians by our love. Um, there are people who claim the name of Christ who really don't seem to live as Christians. They seem to live like the rest of the world. There isn't any difference between them and a person who is not a Christian. There, there just isn't. They may talk the same way. They, they, um, have the same priorities as someone who is ungodly. They are entertained by the same things. Um, there doesn't seem to be love or compassion in them or holiness or righteousness. So there are Christians who bear fruit that stems from their relationship with God. And there are Christians who don't bear fruit. And so Jesus is saying that the father is going to get rid of anyone that's in that, in the vine, abiding in the vine that doesn't bear fruit. And of course it also says either way, you're going to get cut <laughs> because also those, those who do bear fruit, he's going to prune and pruning can be painful, right? But we know we need to prune things so they can bear more fruit. You need to get rid of the dead branches, the useless branches, the branches that just suck the life and the nutrients out of the plant and keep it from bearing as much fruit as it, as it could. It keeps it from really bearing fruit to its full potential. And so God does that with us. And it's painful and ugly sometimes. I mean, when you prune something back, it looks ugly for a while until a year or two later when it comes back even better than it was before it was pruned. So so that is one of the verses that people use. Now, I, I just want to say this, okay? We have true Christians, right? And we have false Christians. And there are many false Christians abiding in the church today through a false profession of Jesus Christ. 
And so, yes, the, the verse does say, he who abides in me, okay, in the vine. But there are, there's two problems here in just taking this statement and then giving it credence, you know, or applying it to a believer's loss of salvation, okay? Because the first thing, what, what doesn't state is the manner in which they were in him. How were they in him? Again, many people are posing as Christians, maybe even think they're Christians, but they're not. So this verse doesn't say what manner they were in him. Second, there is more to the story, because if you go on and look in verses four through six, Jesus said, abide in me and, and I in you. There's plenty of professed Christians abiding in that vine learning all about Jesus, being with his people, participating in in all the things that that Christians participate in and do. But there's, there's been no genuine repentance, no truly turning their lives over to Christ. So they may be abiding in that vine, but the question is, is God abiding in them? Is Jesus abiding in them? So it goes on to say, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You know, talking about the fruits of the spirit, we we don't make ourselves do them. I mean, we should be trying to, to live out the fruits of the spirit, but they're fruits of the spirit. They're fruits from, they're a result of having the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. I am the vine, Jesus said, and you are the branches, whoever abides in me, and he says this again, and I in him. So there's an and there, okay? He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And we really can't. Like the Bible says, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. If it's not done in the name of Jesus, it's not. if it's not done for Jesus, you can go out and and feed the world if you want. But if you deny Christ, if you are not a true believer, it's going to account to you for nothing. So whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So Jesus states twice in these verses that he needs to abide in us as well. He didn't say that in verse 2, verses 1 and 2 of John 15, which is what people use. Again, they're taking part of something. Um, It does seem like maybe Jesus is saying that, but as always, right, we need to interpret Scripture with Scripture, or we need to take it in, in the full context. We need to read the previous verses and the following verses to see if there's more to the story. So as I said, it's Christ in us that causes us to bear fruit. As Jesus reminds us, as he said, apart from him, we can do nothing, which would include our bearing fruit. We can remain in and we can stay in that vine as long as we want. But unless Christ is in us as well, we are not truly his. It's not where we are, okay, that produces fruit. Rather, it's what's in us 
or should I say it's who that's in us that produces fruit? Because works are the fruit. They're not the root of our salvation, right? So a true believer that's filled with the Holy Spirit can't help but bear fruit. But what exactly is this fruit that's not being produced, okay, that supposedly causes a believer to be cut off from the vine or, in other words, lose our salvation? Is it the fruit of good works, attitude, obedience? Because, you know, our assurance, our salvation assurance, it's, it's found in the obedience of another, and that's Jesus Christ. None of us manifest all those things at all times, right? We just don't. We, we mess up, <laughs> saved or unsaved. We are still sinners. We still have a sin nature. We mess up from time to time. So for me, that brings a question. Well, at what point then, if we mess up, at what point does God say, that's enough, and he cuts us off? At what point do we lose our salvation? How do we know if and when we may have lost our salvation, if, if we can lose our salvation, as some say? Did we perhaps sin too much, not do enough? Was it a particular sin, a particular number of sins? I mean, <laughs> Adam, right? He sinned once and look what happened. All of mankind was thrust into condemnation. Everyone since then has been born dead in our trespasses and sins and at enmity with God. So if that's the case, then us poor believers in actuality, we're going to be spending our lives not knowing for sure if we're going to go to heaven or hell, right? Because we may have lost it and we didn't even realize it, if that's the case. But I also want to actually mention verse 8 in John chapter 15, because Jesus also, he goes, he went on to say, by this is my father glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So the fruit bearers are proven to be disciples to begin with. Okay. In other words, bearing much fruit demonstrates the truth or the existence of the true believer. Does that make sense? So if the fruit bearers are proven to be disciples because they're bearing fruit, could it be that bearing much fruit demonstrates the truth or the actuality of the true believer? What I'm saying again, works are the fruit, not the root. It wasn't that the fruit made them believers, it just proves that they are the true believers, leaving us to conclude that the cutaway branches were never believers to begin with. They were not true believers who happened to lose their salvation. Okay. Um, I hope I'm speaking with clarity on this. Um, another verse, Galatians chapter five, verse four says that you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And you hear this term, well, they fell away from grace. They've fallen away from grace. What does that mean? Well, severed. Okay. Obviously the word severed means separated or estranged. So you are separated, estranged from Christ. You who have fallen away from grace. Fallen means to, to lose one's grasp on something. So in this verse, Paul is speaking to the Galatians, telling them that in their trying to be justified by the law works, okay, that they were rejecting Christ. They were rejecting Christ. They were rejecting his sacrifice, what he did, his work on the cross, 
despite the fact that they had been exposed to the truth and the grace of the gospel. Because genuine believers, we don't seek justification through the law of works. It's all by the grace of God. And so there are people who have been told and heard and known of the truth and the grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the only way to the Father, that we need to repent and turn from our sins and turn to him. The Christian, after hearing and and knowing this and believing this, doesn't turn around and try to be justified by the works or the law. So, no, this this doesn't mean, as, as some have said, that a person has lost their salvation. What it does mean is that Paul's suggesting that when a person does this, they haven't been trusting in Christ at all. Because as we know, grace comes through faith in Christ, right? No, There's no other means. Grace comes through our faith in Christ. And seeking salvation any other way causes us to fall away from God's grace. And for me, a a person who says they're a Christian, but would seek God through works, through the law, try to, you know, find their justification that way. Well, again, I think it goes back to the fact that they really aren't a regenerate. They don't have a regenerated heart. They're not a true believer. Moving on to Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 23. I've heard these verses used as well. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is something you never want to hear from God. But one of the first things to notice in this verse did you, did you notice the response of the people? Because they just began to point out their works to Jesus. They talked about all their works. You don't hear anything about what Jesus did for them, but everything that they did for Jesus. To me, big red flag there. And the other word, the word never, Jesus tells them he never knew them. Not that he no longer knew them, I never knew you. In other words, they were never believers to begin with. But another thing I think we need to keep in mind when I said about reading the verses before and after is that in the preceding verses, Jesus was talking about false prophets and teachers, and he may very well still be referring to those. So again, we have to look at everything that surrounds that verse too. Another verse is Hebrews chapter six, verses four through six. It says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again, the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. In the case of those who've once been enlightened and to be enlightened is to have a knowledge of something. And again, I don't think ever do these verses implicate true believers. These are people who heard the word, 
saw for themselves the implications and the power of it, the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, people who are in church every week with the believers, people who are abiding in the vine, okay? But God is not abiding in them because, you know, people can repent, um, but is it true repentance? And, and, and I don't mean saying, oh, I'm so sorry for my sins, yeah, okay, there's there's worldly sorrow, there's godly sorrow, there's godly repentance, there's worldly repentance. But is it, to repent means to turn from, okay? Not just to ask for forgiveness, but it's turning away from your sin and turning to God, okay? So there are people who think or say they've repented, but it may not be true repentance the one that changes us, one that renews us, one that makes us a new creature in Christ, one that renovates our soul. Let's look at Judas Iscariot for a second. He seemed to repent. He seemed to believe at one time as well. He took part in all the wonderful works of the disciples. He was there. He walked and ate with Jesus all the time. He seemed no different than the other disciples. No one suspected him of anything. Of course, Jesus, Jesus knew his heart, but obviously there was not a soul saving repentance. It was made out of faith, even though, again, he experienced all of the things I just mentioned, but he, like those in Matthew verses seven that I just talked about, um, the one who said, Lord, Lord, okay, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name and do many money works in your name? Well, that was Judas, right? He abided with Christ, the vine, as well. But Christ never abided in him. His heart was not right. He was a false believer, not a genuine disciple. But the disciples had no idea. He looked, sounded, and smelled just like they did. All right. As a matter of fact, Jesus referred to Judas Iscariot as the son of destruction and a devil. So. Our Lord and Savior, of course, who knows the hearts of men, knew Judas's heart the whole time. And one more I have is 1 John 2, 19 that says, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they, are, that they all are not of us. The reason that these people went out from them, from the church, okay? Because they were not really of us. That explains all these other previous verses that I just addressed, okay? They were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. Once you're God's, you're God's. And I'm going to share with you some scriptures that completely contradict, quite powerfully, clearly contradict the previous verses that I had just shared with you. Okay, so we are going to take a brief break here. I've got something really important I would like you to hear. So stay tuned for that message, and I'll be right back after that. Hey there, fellow candles. I have a question for you. Do you have a deep desire to bless Israel or perhaps even travel to Israel? Because I am partaking in a missions trip to Israel. It's called Run for Zion, and it's a ministry of the Genesis 123 Foundation, which is a part of the Jerusalem Marathon in March of 2023. Yes, I said marathon, but <laughs> you do not have to be a runner to participate in the marathon. I, for one, 
I will be walking through Jerusalem, not running, and sitting on the sidelines cheering the participants on is also an option as well. But if you are looking for an opportunity to bless Israel, to travel to the land of Israel, not simply as a tourist, but as a beacon of light and hope for God's chosen people, I'm currently recruiting a team through my podcast, One Little Candle, which of course will be called Team One Little Candle. But the beauty of all this is that in addition to the marathon, we will have the opportunity to have meaningful interaction with the land and the people of Israel and connect in person, okay, with the projects that are supported by Run for Zion, blessing Israelis of all walks of life. So if you want to find out more about this, visit www.runforzion.com. There you'll see all the details about the missions trip, along with the many programs throughout Israel that will benefit from our participation in Run for Zion and how you can have your trip to Israel paid for, enabling you to travel to Israel and walk in the footsteps of Jesus. So would you prayerfully consider joining me in blessing the people and nation that God chose for his very own? Because I would love to have you as part of Team One Little Candle. Imagine how much impact we could have for those who dwell in the Holy Land if we all worked together. But perhaps traveling to Israel isn't something you personally would care to do. But if you, like me, have a heart for Israel, you can still sign up as a part of One Little Candle's team and fundraise. Or you can simply choose to make a one-time donation on behalf of Team One Little Candle. And your donation will have a direct impact on the citizens and nation of Israel and allow Team One Little Candle to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and serve his chosen people in need while there. So if you are interested in joining me in Israel or would simply like to fundraise as part of the team or make a donation, if you'd like to talk more about it, please email me at candlestogether at gmail.com or again, log on to www.runforzion.com to join the team, get more information or just make a one-time donation. Remembering God's promise to the nation of Israel, I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis twelve three. Hope to see you in Israel. So let's talk salvation assurance, also known as the perseverance of the saints. John, we're going to start with John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. And it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. True believers know and they hear God's voice and they follow him. We're safe in God's hands, okay? He gives us eternal life and we will never perish. And you know, I just want to say here, I used to struggle as a young believer. There was a time when I wasn't sure whether we could or couldn't lose my our salvation, but that was also a time when I was what's known as an Arminian. I did not believe in the doctrine of election. I thought it was disgusting and ugly and arrogant and wouldn't even go there. So I guess you could say at that point, even though I didn't consciously say it or maybe even realize it, but 
I believed that my salvation was up to me, that God was just sitting back passively waiting for me to do the right things in coming to him. So I guess it would stand to reason that you might think that you could lose it if you feel like you were the one who, who gained it to begin with, right? First John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm going to go back again to the previous verses. Okay, because even more telling are the things that John's referring to while he's addressing the believers. In the previous verses, he stated, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony of the Holy Spirit in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And that was 1 John 5, verses 10 and 12. Notice John didn't say that we might have eternal life or that we have hope for eternal life, right? He didn't say that. He said that we may know that we have eternal life or that whoever has the Son of God, he didn't say they have the possibility of eternal life. He said that we know that we have eternal life. Have is a present term, right? It's eternal and it has no end. And again, anyone that ends up not having eternal life, it's because they are not of God to begin with. First John uh, chapter 3 verses 4 and then verses 6 through 8 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Matthew 7 verses 21 through 23, that one we read. Sin is lawlessness. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he, Jesus, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. So again, the scriptures emphatically state that true believers, those who are born again, of God in Christ, who know God and God knows them are the ones who will always be righteous. They will always bear fruit and abide in Christ. They practice it. They, those who don't have neither seen him or known him. Remember, depart from me. I never knew you. So as I had said earlier, yes, we all sin. We are not freed from these sinful bodies yet. Okay. So we do sin, we mess up from time to time, but the difference is that it's not a habitual lifestyle, okay? When we do sin, we're convicted. The Holy Spirit convicts us. We feel awful about it. And we ask God for forgiveness. And we, of course, ask him to help us to please not do it again, right? We don't like it when we sin. It it grieves us that we have in any way hurt or offended our Savior. Most of the time, we practice righteousness. We live the way God wants us to, obeying his commands. But the unbeliever, their lifestyle is that of always sinning and not feeling bad about it, um, not wanting to do anything about it, not 
surrendering their lives to Christ. Okay. That's the difference. So now we have Psalm 121, 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. So see, when you come to Jesus, the Father already gave you to him. He had you marked out. And those, So those who've truly come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ they will never be cast out. It says, whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. And if we say otherwise, that somehow God would cast us out, we are declaring that the Bible's untrue and God is a liar. Because these scriptures are crystal clear. There's, there's no other way to interpret them. They're crystal clear. God will not cast you out when you're truly his. He will convict you when you start to stray. Okay. He'll get you back on the right path. You will bear fruit. You will obey his commandments. Not perfectly, but you're sure going to want to. You're going to strive to do it perfectly. Um, and you're going to be grieved when you miss the mark, when you sin, when you mess up. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and the first half of 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old one has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So someone who is truly in Christ is forever, forever changed. They don't go back to their old self. Again, they may have some moments where the old self is peeking through maybe, but it doesn't stay that way. It's not habitual. It's not a lifestyle. Okay. Again, conviction, repentance, your new creation. The old use passed away. It's dead. And so if it's dead, it can't be revived. Okay. If you're truly in Christ, you're not going to turn back into your old self and, and resurrect that old self and lose your salvation. This newness that we have, it's a continuing condition called sanctification. Okay, another one for salvation assurance, Romans 8 verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called by the gospel. That's the means to the end. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, my friend, God will complete what he began. He's not like us. He doesn't start something and then not finish it. Okay. Paul goes on to speak by the way, in the rest of chapter eight, about how Christ intercedes for us as well. And he ends the chapter by stating this, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, etc., will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Nothing can separate us. We can't screw it up. Why? Because it wasn't up to us begin to begin with. It really wasn't up to us to start it in the way that we think it was. And thankfully, thank you, God, it's not up to us to finish it. It's the Holy Spirit within us who keeps us. He's our seal. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We're sealed for that final day, okay? When all this ends, we have our new bodies, our glorified bodies, and we're literally with Jesus forever. We're sealed until that day. You have assurance, my friend, if you're truly in Christ, you're sealed. He sealed the deal. Okay. Ephesians 1.11, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Note the words in him, we have obtained. Okay. Have obtained. What does that mean? It means believers already have obtained it. We've obtained that inheritance. Also, if you go down to verse 13, it says that believers are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So again, so much assurance coming directly from God that true, genuine believers They are sealed. They're safe. They will not lose their salvation. God will finish what he started. John chapter 5 verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So, If we can lose our salvation, then the previous verses, they're not true. And once again, God's a liar. He is someone who we can't trust to keep his word. We can't trust him to keep his promises. What kind of God cannot keep his own? I want to know. What kind of God cannot keep those whom he has saved, those whom he's called? These verses, by the way, they're, they're in no way a matter of a person's interpretation. They mean what they say. Plain and simple. I'll say it again. These verses are in no way a matter of a person's interpretation. They mean what they say. They're crystal clear. I can't make this clear enough. Saying that we can lose our salvation is saying that we have to work at keeping it. It leaves salvation in our power. It, and, and, you know, our salvation It leaves it as a matter of what we do or what we don't do. And in that case, it makes it a thing of works. Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith. You hear the term coming to a saving faith. We can only come to that saving faith because of God. The faith to believe is a gift from God. We don't conjure it up on our own. It says here that it's it's a gift from God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Okay, just imagine this. Picture this. Here we are one day all in heaven, right? Christians in heaven. And of course, we're going to, I'm sure, talk and and have conversations with one another. But imagine what some of these conversations might be. 
if it were left up to us, okay, if um, our salvational security was left up to us, wouldn't people be asking one another, imagine someone coming up to me and going, hey, Rebecca, how was it that you managed to keep your salvation? Because I'm looking and, geez, Rebecca, I don't see Bob Smith up here. I mean, Bob Smith, he was a Christian, right? He he went to church with us every Sunday. He was a really nice guy, and, and he said that that he was a believer. So, wow, I wonder what he did to have lost his salvation. But apparently, he wasn't able to keep it. What did you do differently? And then maybe I, I, I can share with you what I did. Was it the same thing? <laughs> like, um. You know, what was it that we, as opposed to the poor other unfortunate folks, managed to, you know, what did we do to keep ourselves saved, to keep our salvation? How did we manage not to lose it? This way of thinking leaves a ton, a ton of room for boasting. And it completely, completely does away with God getting all the glory. Isaiah 48, 11, right? My glory, I will not give to another. And so to finish Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The reason for our good works, because God has chosen them. Again, the good works, they're the fruit, not the root. The truth is, the only thing that you, the only thing that I, the only thing that any man has ever truly contributed to the plan of their salvation is his sin. That's all I brought with me in my hands when God called me. My sin, that's all you brought with you. And thankfully, thankfully for Jesus Christ, he paid the price for that. He did away with it. He covered it for us with his blood. You and I don't have a chance in hell (laughs) in keeping our salvation on our own, okay? A true believer who is infused with the Holy Spirit, they don't have to worry If you're a true believer, my friend, you don't have to worry. 1 John 4, 4 tells us, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And he, we know this world is run by Satan. Keeping in mind, of course, any power Satan has over anyone in this world, it is allowed by God for his purpose, for his ultimate purpose. And ultimately, of course, for God's glory. So God is sovereign over all. He's on his throne. He's in ultimate control. But for a time here, Satan um, is pulling a lot of the strings in this world and having a great influence over many, many of its people. But keep in mind, the Holy Spirit is greater. He's greater than you or I. He's greater than our, our enemy, Satan. So we are to trust the entirety of our salvation to our triune God. We have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit always working together to see us through from beginning 
to end. First Peter one twenty three. since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. When we're born again, it's imperishable. We've been born into something that can't be overtaken by death, can't be destroyed. It's imperishable. Titus chapter three, verse five, he saved us not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When something is uh, regenerated, it's something new. It's something different. It's no longer the same. It's changed permanently. There's no turning back. Okay. That's regeneration. And it says renewal of the Holy Spirit. Well, renewal is to make like new. Now, some people claim, okay, unfortunately, they claim that assurance of salvation would give people the inclination of, or, you know, a license to sin because no matter what, you know, once saved, always saved. Well, that's dangerous because, you know, you're just going to live however you want. No, no. A false believer would probably think that way. Absolutely. A true believer who has the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, who has Jesus interceding for them at the right hand of the Father, a true believer who's been regenerated and renewed by the washing of the Holy Spirit is not going to think or feel that way. That is the furthest thing from their minds. A believer who has all the traits that I just described has a very sensitive um, conscience to sin. They're grieved when they sin. So nothing could be further from the truth because the true believer carries with them the awareness of the fact that their salvation was completely undeserved, undeserved mercy and grace and assurance. And so when you have that, it drives the truly regenerated person to pursue with, of course, the help of God to pursue a life of righteousness and holiness. That's what it does. Again, a false convert. Yeah, they probably might possess that mindset. And I even submit that if a professing Christian holds this view, he or she probably might want to examine themselves to see whether or not they're actually in the faith. Um, Second Corinthians 13, five talks about that. So here we are. No one's able to keep their salvation secure except through the power of almighty God. We as believers are all guilty of doing things that God says he hates. All right. Let's look at Proverbs chapter six, verses 16 and 17. It says this, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Now these are just two of the seven things mentioned, right? Pride and lying. Take pride. For instance, can any one of us safely say that we're not guilty of the sin of pride in several areas of our life? Although oftentimes I have found in pride, we're oblivious to it, but we're guilty nonetheless. God hates pride. He hates it. Has any of us ever lied? I can safely say that, yeah, and probably more than once. And God calls this an abomination. So I want to know how anyone could ever expect to keep their salvation 
while doing the things that God hates. Right? If it, if it's up to you and you do those things, well, if it's up to you, you're going to lose them. You're going to lose it for sure. But again, it's not up to you. First Peter chapter one, verses three to five says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, listen to this, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, which is a gift of God, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Philippians chapter one, verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus took upon himself the sin of the world. And this would include the sins of those who had already lived and died and those who were living at the time and those who had yet to be born. Jesus died once and for all for the sins that you and I had yet to commit. They're covered. We should be going to him to ask for forgiveness. You certainly don't want to just, you know, realize what you did and then um, not confess it. No, we need to confess our sins to God regularly. And of course, ask him to bring before us any hidden sins that we are not aware of, okay, to examine our hearts, to bring these things before us that we're not aware of and to help us overcome them. But luckily... As when Romans 6 says that we're dead to sin and alive to God and we are slaves to righteousness. So Christians are, we can't help but be slaves. We're slaves. We are um, bound by righteousness through the Holy Spirit. You know, and I can think of a few people in the Bible, right? Let's think about some of the people in the Bible that if they could have, they should have lost their salvation, but they didn't. The first person that comes to my mind is King David. Lies, adultery, premeditated murder. Wow. He confessed it to God. He repented. He was punished. He was punished. He suffered the earthly consequences for it. And you know, yet God knew that David, he would, he knew that he would commit those things. And he still said David was a man after his own heart. How can that be? I know that's, Sometimes I think that's a tough one. King David's heart was pointed toward God, yet he committed some pretty terrible sins. But I believe that because David, well, he was one of God's chosen people, he convicted him through a prophet. Okay. And David repented and God forgave him. Yep. Again, as I said, he paid the price for his sin here on earth, but God forgave him. And at this very moment, guess where King David is? And guess who true believers are going to get to meet one day? King David is in heaven right now singing God's praises. How about this one? Matthew 26, 31, Jesus said to his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. What about Jesus's very own disciples? Shouldn't they have lost their salvation? They fell away after Peter, especially saying, never, Lord, I will die for you. They fell away at the very moment Jesus needed them most. They ran away from him. Why? To protect themselves. What did they do? They left him alone, even though the father was with him, but they left him alone. 
Peter denied knowing him not once, not twice, but three times. All in the matter of one night, mind you. So if there ever was a reason for someone, for people to lose their salvation, for someone to lose their salvation, I would think Peter would be it. But in his great mercy, in his grace, Jesus forgave them. Why? Because they were his own. They messed up. They were convicted. They repented. But they messed up. They were restored. Just as the genuine believer is when they mess up. So yeah, if somehow we obtained our salvation through some sort of merit of our own, if our works were the root of our salvation, then yeah, I'd say, yeah, yeah, it's up to us to keep it. But um, the truth of the matter is we're not capable of keeping our salvation. It doesn't matter how much we would ascertain to. We just can't do it in our humanness. As Matthew 26, 41 tells us, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We may want to, but we're going to fail multiple times at always doing the right thing. But thankfully, when we're weak, the God of our salvation, he's omnipotent. He is full of power. Sadly, there will be professing believers, those who profess the name of Christ. Um, They're not believers, but they'll be professing to be believers. Um, They won't see the kingdom of heaven. God will indeed cut off the dead, fruitless branches from the vine, for sure. But I think that the Bible gives overwhelming evidence that those branches are not true believers. They're just not. Look, God gets and deserves the glory for the beginning of our salvation and throughout the middle and the end. And in spite of us, he brings it to completion and perfection. God is faithful when we are not. He's faithful to keep his promises to us. I trust him with my life. Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your salvation? Because my friend, our lives and our times, they're in his hands. Praise God. Praise God that they're in his hands and not ours. And I'll just close with Jude 1 verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God is going to take great joy in presenting us blameless before the Father. He alone is able to keep us from stumbling. My friend, if you have been wavering as to whether or not you can lose your salvation or maybe you believe that you can, please know you cannot. There is too much overwhelming evidence in God's word that says, and I will put those on my website, um, 
www.onelittlecandlepodcast.com. Look for um, its episode resources. I'm going to put the Bible verses down so you can read them and look at them for yourself. Just pray about them, meditate upon them. If you're truly in him, you don't have to worry. That doesn't mean, and again, I believe if you're a true believer, you're not going to even go there in your mind, but I'm just going to say that doesn't mean you just live your life, you know, la-di-da, um, living for you. No, you live your life for Christ. You, you very much ascertain to live a life of righteousness and holiness, living as one little candle, a light in the darkness in your own little corner of the world. Okay. Trust God. He's faithful to keep you. Your salvation wasn't up to you, the beginning of it or the completion of it. Thank God for what he's done because you and I've given him no reason to ever want to. That's for sure. It's a very humbling, humbling thing when you realize how unworthy you are. I don't know if I should say this, but it's like winning the lottery, but a bazillion times better. Um, Nothing in me that would make God want to and nothing in you, my friend, that would make God want to. It's just that it gave him pleasure to do so. Thank God for your salvation. I trust him to keep you until the day of redemption. Okay, so um, I'm going to say a song for the day. Great is thy faithfulness. I love that one. Uh, one of my favorite songs because uh, we see his mercies. They're new every day for us, morning by morning. He's faithful when we are not. and He's faithful to the end. He will keep us. So be that one little candle this week. Be that light in the darkness. Dispel the darkness with the truth that God has you in his hands. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You cannot lose your salvation if you are truly in him, abiding in him and he in you. Live for him. Give him thanks. Live a life of gratitude. That's how you can be that light. Live a life of gratitude. Start in your own home and your church and your community and your place of work, school, wherever God has placed you bloom where you're planted or shine, shine bright where you're planted. If you like this podcast, please follow it. Please follow me. And of course, share it. Please share it with a friend, share it with family members. Let people know that they are safe and they are secure in their salvation. So you can subscribe to my website, www.onelittlecandlepodcast.com. Subscribe. Once in a while, I get around to sending some goodies your way, and I do have a blog on there. You can check out my blog there as well. Follow me on Instagram. I'm mostly on Instagram, I'd have to say, at One Little Candle Podcast. I am on Facebook as well, at One Little Candle Podcast. So either way, get in touch with me. Um, say hello. And you know, I'd like to say hello to people, and of course, I have people in the good old USA who listen, and I'm so grateful for that. But I also have people in Canada and the United Kingdom and, well, various other countries. But for today, I want to just say hello and thank you to those in 
the U.S., Canada, and the United Kingdom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for following those of you that follow. I really appreciate you. Shout out to you. I would just, I would just like you to say hello. Just give me a hello. Let me know how you're doing. If you have any prayer requests, I would love to hold you up in prayer. So reach out through any of those ways, either through, again, my website, onelittlecandlepodcast.com or Instagram or Facebook at One Little Candle Podcast. Episodes coming up soon. I am going to be having a guest within the next month. Her name is Kristen McDermott, and she is uh, a part of Women in Apologetics. She is going to come on, and we're going to answer the question, is it too late to influence your children for the faith? Because there are many parents out there who, when their children were younger, dropped the ball in this area in really doing things the way they should have. Hello, meet Rebecca. I'm one of them. And she also speaks from experience, but I first saw an article that she had posted from Women in Apologetics, and it was wonderful. And so I invited her to come on, and so she will be coming on, and we will be talking about that because, look, it's it can really be a stumbling block for, for parents who have those regrets. And so we want to just offer some wisdom and, and hope and encouragement for those of you who have those regrets. So that will be coming up soon. And also I will have a guest co-host coming up too. And we're going to do, it's probably going to be more than one part, maybe a two or three part episode on the normalization of sexual immorality because, um, oh my goodness, there's so much out there and you want to talk stumbling blocks. This is it. This seems to be for Christians and non-Christians or those who profess the name of Christ. Um, huge thing issues and it's just getting worse. And I can tell you right now, I can promise you that it's going to get worse. So we're going to cover a lot of areas there going back to when a lot of all this began. And we're just going to point you to some resources as well and, and make you aware of some things that unless you're really digging deep, you probably are not aware of, but Paige likes to dig deep my co-host, and I like to dig deep. So we are going to discuss those things as well. So anyway, just a couple episodes that are that are coming up as well and a conversation with a Gen Zer, as I call them. Um, that's an upcoming episode as well. So, all right, my friend, that's pretty much it for today. Until next time, you take care and God bless. <music>